This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome everyone to the Tridot Podcast. We've got a topic that no matter where you are and what your race distance is, today's talk about handling the weather on race day is for you. Joining us for this conversation is pro triathlete and coach Elizabeth James. Elizabeth is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who quickly rose through the triathlon ranks using Tridot. From a beginner to top age grouper to a professional triathlete. She's a Kona and Boston Marathon qualifier who has coached triathletes with TriDot since 2014. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Next up is coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who leads TriDot's athlete services, ambassador, and coaching programs. He has coached hundreds of athletes ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using TriDot since 2010 and coaching with TriDot since 2012. John Mayfield, are you ready to chat about the weather? Yeah, I think it's one of the triathletes' favorite topics. Uh, it it seems to be interwoven in every race report <laughs> and every conversation of of a race coming up. Uh, we we like to joke that uh, every race is done under the toughest conditions ever, uh, and that usually revolves around weather. So uh, we have a couple examples of of perhaps some races that were uh, toughest conditions ever. So yeah, uh, ready to talk about weather. Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set weather-related conversation, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. The people, places, and things that become a large part of our focus during the day can also infiltrate their way into our dreams at night once we're asleep. I think we've all had that moment where we've woken up from a dream that is tied to a real-life event and needed to tell someone about it. So, for our warm-up question today, has triathlon, your swim, bike, and running, ever made its way into your nightly dreams? And if so... Tell us about one of your try dreams. Elizabeth, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, gosh, I, I'm trying to think of one specifically, but uh, I know that mine are usually nightmares and oh, they usually <laughs> involve disasters, like showing up to transition and there's no wheels on my bike or I'm, you know, swimming and I'm swimming in place and I'm just never getting out of the lake. Um, that That's an awful one um, eating expired nutrition that makes me sick, stuff like that. Uh, so it's just, yeah, kind of my try dreams are not so great. I, I like to frame it in the way that I'm just preparing my mind to adapt and overcome those situations on race day, but, uh, not, not very pleasant dreams on on my end here. I I can see why with all of them being that way, I can see why you've kind of like put the specifics out of your mind and you don't have like a specific one to recall because you you probably wake up and and want to forget about those dreams as quickly as you possibly can, right? Yeah, like, oh, let's let's not have that happen. (laughs) 
John Mayfield, have you ever had triathlon make its way into your nightly dreams? Uh, often, but, uh, like dreams, I, I have a hard time remembering anything specific. I'm not one that, that really does. Uh, but one did come to mind. So we're, uh, less than a week removed from Ironman Coeur d'Alene. And I do recall vaguely the night after the race, uh, after staring at the Ironman tracker, uh, for effectively 17 hours of the day. And, uh, uh, it, circumventing that day with some weather related issues, a uh, very hot, dry day, hot conditions. Um, I was probably extremely dehydrated and extremely exhausted as I went to bed. Uh, and I, I do recall, I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember, uh, my dreams involving the Ironman tracker. And it was something like, I don't even remember just, it was like a, a reoccurring theme that, that I, I don't know, things like weren't, weren't reconciling or weren't matching. I don't know. It had to do with the Ironman tracker. So yeah, that was, uh, my most recent triathlon uh, dream. Very interesting. And what a coach experience to have, right? Because a lot of times your race day uh, revolves around tracking your athletes. Uh, John, when you and I, or, or you, me and Elizabeth, when any of the Tridot staff, when we're at these races, uh, we have all the Tridot athletes in, in our app so we can know when they're coming on the course and cheer for them as they're going by. And so, yeah, we end up spending a lot of the day looking at the, the tracker app and looking at the map uh, to see where all the athletes are on course and, uh, and yeah, so that, that little, uh, that little bugger just made its way into your dream after staring at it all night. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Just 17 hours wasn't enough. I needed, a, <laughs> I needed some more. Uh, so the one I'm going to share and, and this, I do have a specific one because I, it came to me pretty recently. And so I kind of remember the specifics of it and it kind of inspired this particular question. Um, so the time we're recording this at the time this episode is coming out, um, a lot of tried out athletes are preparing for escape from Alcatraz, uh, the, Famous bucket list uh, triathlon in San Francisco Bay. Um, really excited to see a lot of the trot out athletes there. Um, man, ever since signing up for for that race, every time I go to the pool for a swim session, that Alcatraz swim is in my head. Uh, just a few weeks back, I had a very specific dream where, um, for whatever reason, all the trot out athletes that are racing Alcatraz, we were on the beach, that uh, the San Francisco beach, looking at the the Alcatraz Island. We were all in our wetsuits, and we were going for a shakeout swim, uh, which is a very normal thing for us to do uh, before a race. You know, before any of these Ironman events, we get there and, and we'll kind of do a, a swim in the the at the race site to kind of see what the water looks like and get acclimated to it. Um, that's a trot out event we always put on at trot out at the races, um, and, and so a very normal thing to do. But for some reason, we were doing it at midnight. Uh, and so John Mayfield, you were there in my dream. You were in charge of this shakeout swim and, and we're out on the shoreline and at midnight. And I remember thinking, why the heck are we doing this at midnight? This is really weird. It doesn't feel safe. Uh, but you were convinced we need to do the, need to do this at midnight. And one of our athletes, I don't remember who it was. I, I don't remember a face or anything started questioning you. Hey John, why don't we do this tomorrow morning when the sun comes up? Why are we doing this at midnight? And you were adamant. No, we need to go for this swim right now. And I'm not confrontational as a person. Um, and, and so I didn't say a word, but I, John, I want you to know in this dream, I disagreed with you. And I agreed with this athlete who was confronting <laughs> you about what a bad idea it was to swim, uh, in San Francisco Bay at midnight. Um, and, and in my dream, we never ended up getting in the water. Uh, we just kind of argued about it on the shore and eventually I woke up. And so that is the most recent occasion of triathlon 
infiltrating my dreams. Yeah, I think we absolutely need to go for a midnight swim in San Francisco <laughs> Bay here in a few weeks. So, uh, Well, you won't find me there. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> All right, so guys, we're going to throw this question out to you. Make sure you are a part of the I Am Trot Facebook group. Every single day, a, a new podcast episode drops. We post our warm-up question out to the group. Uh, so go find this question. Has triathlon, swim, bike, run, race day, any of it, has it made its way into your nightly dreams? Go find the post today and let us know what you dreamed about. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Our main set today is brought to you by our friends at Garmin. In the fitness and multi-sport market, Garmin products are the gold standard. Known for their compelling design, superior quality, and best value. As a triathlete, Garmin can be and should be your very best friend. They offer best-in-class GPS watches that can track your every swim, bike, and run with ease. When you are out on the bike, Garmin's Vector Power Pedals can measure those all-important watts, while their Edge Cycling Computers conveniently display all your data in real time as you ride. You can also bring Garmin into your pain cave with their Tax Indoor Trainers and Accessories. I tell everyone who will listen that my Tax Flux Indoor Smart Trainer is the best investment I have made in my own triathlon training. The best part is Garmin is fully integrated with TriDot, so your Garmin Connect and Garmin Health data seamlessly streams to TriDot and your training is continually optimized. So head to Garmin.com and check out all the cool tech they have to offer. Most athletes hope race morning will usher in pleasant conditions for a beautiful day of racing without having to worry too much about freezing, overheating, or getting blown off the course. Sometimes we show up to the swim start with ideal conditions ahead of us, but other times the forecast shows tough conditions are in store. We don't get to choose what weather race day will bring, but we can make smart choices in how we deal with the conditions on the day. And John and Elizabeth are here to help us do just that. That we're going to talk about uh, the, the the heat and the cold and the wind and how to deal with all of it. Uh, but before we talk about anything else, I, I want us to hit pacing because pacing properly in any condition uh, it can really just make or break how it goes when you're out there. You know, we've talked about Tridot and RaceX's ability to tweak our paces to the environment for our training sessions. You know, and for our race, you know, our race day pacing itself. Um, talk to us a little bit about how to leverage RaceX pacing to adjust for tougher weather conditions. This piece is so critical. As as you mentioned, we've talked on the show before about e-norm or environment normalization. And I mean, everybody knows that doing a race in 55 degrees is so much different than 105 degrees. And your pacing has to adjust so that you can sustain your best effort in the conditions for that day. And, and one of the things that's fantastic about RaceX is that you aren't guessing about your pacing. You aren't at the starting line thinking, man, it's really hot and humid today. I wonder how much I'm going to need to back off my pace. Instead, you can look at your race execution plan and know, hey, okay, it's hot and humid today. And this is how much I'm going to need to slow down my pace in order to match my best effort in these conditions and therefore perform my best. So it takes away any guesswork that the conditions may have kind of uh, created, um, with, with what you're headed into on race day. Yeah. And it's, it's accounting for the temperature that's accounting for, um, the, the wind and, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, but if we check our race X prediction and pacing plan, um, you know, weeks out from the race, it, it's, it's basically referencing 
the average weather for that time of year for that course. And then once we're a day or so before the race, it's actually pulling in the actual uh, weather report, weather projection, weather forecast for that day. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So as, as you look at your race X predictions weeks and months out, it's going to be based on the, the best information we have, and that'll be those historical averages. But but yes, as as race day approaches, it it does actually switch over from from the historical averages to the actual forecasted because uh, sometimes those, those can be big differences. Some races are are largely yeah. consistent in their weather from from year to year. Uh, others can can vary widely. So um, yeah, it, it gives you a good idea as you're as you're training, as you're doing those race rehearsals and uh, beginning to plan. Uh, your your gear selection and your even your hydration and nutrition strategy, all that. Uh, but then but then as that that more um, precise, uh, more current information becomes available, it'll it'll switch over and adjust accordingly. Yep, no, that's great. And, and most of us leading up to the race, you know, we're we're checking the weather multiple times during the week, and when we see less than ideal conditions on the horizon, when we see it might be really hot, might be really windy, you know, that that can start getting in our heads well before we actually wake up on the day of the event. What insight do y'all have on mentally wrapping our heads around the forecasted weather and not being thrown off by it? I think something that's important to remember is every race is unique and, and there are no two races that are ever going to be the same. And, and largely one of the, the main factors that makes a race different is is the weather. That You're never going to have the exact same weather two times in a row. And, and we, all, we always want to go into a race or, or most times we want to go in and we want to PR. We want to do better uh, either at a same race or we want to do better at a at a given distance. That's oftentimes how we we judge our improvement. Um, you know, we we worked hard. We want to do better. We're more experienced. We're more fit. We want a faster race time. But but sometimes that's just not the case. Um, it's not feasible. It's not possible given those those conditions. So um, controlling expectations, um, defining what is a good race, what is a successful race, um, is is important. So uh, oftentimes. As triathletes, as those type A personalities, we always want to be better. We want to be faster. And, and if we're not faster, if we're not better, then, then we did something wrong. But that's absolutely not the case. So I think I think controlling those expectations and making sure those expectations are reasonable and in line. Um, so, you know, if you if, if your 70.3 PR was in 70, de- 70 degree conditions, chances are uh, if you show up to a race that's going to be 90, 95 degrees, you're, you have a good chance of not beating that time. Um, yeah. you may be more fit, you may perform better given those conditions, but it may not necessarily reflect in the time. So it's important to look, look beyond, um, just the splits, just beyond the finish time and, um, you know, have, have a, a more, obje- it's hard to say more objective, but, but a more objective metric, uh, for your success, or maybe it's more a, a subjective metric for, for a successful race. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely triathletes are that type A personality type and um, they are going to be checking the weather multiple times. And I, and I think that's understandable and that's okay. I mean, you do need to know what the conditions are going to be to prepare for the day and how that's going to impact your pacing and your nutritional needs. But I, I mean, as John kind of was getting at here, there's there's no need to obsess about the weather. Um, you know, that's, that's something that you can't change. And I'm sure that many athletes I've heard this before, but it's it's so true. So we're going to bring it up here again to um, control what you can control. Uh, as as an example, I, I recently raced Des Moines 70.3 and the weather forecast for race morning predicted major thunderstorms. And so, you know, as I'm checking the weather the week before and then the days leading up to it, you can just see that it's like 
90% chance of major thunderstorms that morning. That's like, oh boy, okay, that that doesn't look good. <laughs> um, and I mean, the night before we received information that the race would be delayed at least by an hour. They were already looking at the forecast too, saying, yep, there's, there's no way we're racing at 6.45 a.m. tomorrow morning. And they said there's additional delays likely, you know, just tune into these couple of places. We'll, we'll keep you posted. Um, so at first, you know, no big deal. One hour of extra sleep sounds good to me. So going to bed the night before, I, I did know that there was a good possibility of the race being canceled, um, but still followed my pre-race routine as I normally would. You know, I'm going to plan to continue on until I hear otherwise. And so then waking up on race morning, I mean, got out of bed and there's just this huge thunderclap and it's pouring rain. There's a brilliant lightning show outside. And I'm like, I I really don't think we're going to race. Um, it, it looked so unlikely, but I still proceeded to eat breakfast, put on my race kit. I'm like, all right, positive mindset. Like we're, you know, still going to prepare and just wait for the official announcement. Um, and then when additional delays were announced, it was like, okay, now we got to, now we got to adjust. So found out that, you know, it was going to be delayed an additional time. I ate a second breakfast. I'd already burned through the first breakfast, needed some more calories. I started doing some dynamic exercises in our rental apartment just to kind of, you know, start my warm up. Um, and then we found out that it would be delayed, but we would be able to race. So we had a two and a half hour delay, but it would be quick transition. Basically, it's like go pump up your tires and and we're going to get started. Even arriving at transition, I had no idea how the delays were going to impact the setup of the race. We didn't know if we were just headed into a time trial bike start and then we'd have a run. We didn't know if it was a swim bike run. It's like, do I grab my speed suit yet? Do I need my cap goggles? Yeah. I mean, Again, control what you can. We had no idea how that was going to impact the course, um, but you just go and prepare and wait for the official announcements. So we did end up being able to race um, due to that delayed start. We had a full distance swim, half the bike course, and then the half marathon at the end. But this was a really good experience for me in just adapting to the situation and controlling the parts of the morning that I could. Um, making sure that I was still prepared by adjusting my nutrition, making sure that I was warmed up and ready to go, even with that quick delayed start and change of course on the day. Yeah. I mean, and, and talk about weather conditions that can get in your head, you know, when you know there's potential for it to be storming and you don't even know what your race is going to look like or if it's going to happen. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that can be in your head all week. That can be in your head the night before that can be in your head the morning of, you know, you, you can walk into that scenario, totally thrown out of sorts. Um, uh, you know, and, and then boom, you actually have a swim bike run race to do and, and mm -hmm. you're already mentally defeated before it even starts. Um, uh, you know, but, but you were able to keep yourself calm, keep yourself going through the motions of the morning as if it was a normal race day, controlling what you can control. And, and I guess that's the message for, for athletes. If you're looking at the forecast and it says hundred degrees on race day, uh, when you were expecting 70 or, or stormy or, or cloudy or, or whatever, just control what you can control, go through the motions like it's any other race day and, uh, and, and do what you can when you get out there. So that's, that's great stuff, mm -hmm. Elizabeth. Thanks. To take another viewpoint on this, less than ideal weather conditions could actually play to your advantage if you are prepared both physically and mentally. 
I think that the hot and humid day that I had at Ironman in Chattanooga in 2017 likely played into my Kona qualification there. I mean, yes, it was hot and it certainly affected my pacing, but it was hot for everybody. And while I slowed down some, I didn't slow down as much as some of the other competitors. So if you race well in the heat, you may have an opportunity to place higher, get a qualification spot in hot and humid conditions. If you race well in cold temperatures and have cold race day temperatures, then take advantage of that. Um, But I'd say, you know, no matter what the weather is, keep that positive mindset and don't let the weather derail you. All of your competitors are going to be facing the same conditions. And if you just focus on controlling what you can control instead of stressing over the weather, you're going to be at a mental advantage over your competition. I I really want us to just walk through um, you know, heat, cold, wind, you know, some of the big major things that athletes are going to face weather-wise on race day. So let's talk about heat for a little bit, because this is this is the one that can really, really throw a kink in our race plan and pacing. Um, racing in the heat, we know it's all about hydration, and it's all about doing whatever it takes to stay as cool as possible. What tips do you both share with your athletes on accomplishing those tasks on a hot day? So yeah, what you mentioned there about, you know, staying cool, do what you can to keep your core temperature cool. So go into the event properly hydrated and and make sure that you're choosing appropriate gear for the conditions. Then during the event itself, stick to your hydration plan on the bike and consider grabbing extra bottles of water at the aid station just to kind of pour over yourself and keep yourself cool as well. Um, On the run, utilize the aid stations for both hydration and cooling protocols, such as using cold towels or sponges or ice, kind of whatever there um, is available. And then companies now are making fantastic cooling gear, such as arm sleeves or hats with kind of that longer piece of fabric in the back to cover your neck. So, I mean, utilizing some of those pieces of gear may be very appropriate as well if you know that it's going to be a hot or very, very sunny day. One of the things that I think is a tip that maybe is not as as thought out is um, knowing the spacing, spacing, excuse me, between aid stations and how Mm, that relates to your nutrition plan. Uh, For example, my first 70.3 was kind of a local race and it was over 100 degrees and the run aid stations were 5K apart from each other. Wow, Um, that's a ways. So that that can be a ways. Um, So I, I carried a bottle with me that day and that ended up being a very competitive advantage for me because I was able to hydrate more often versus athletes that, I mean, were just going at the aid station. So like, Oh my gosh, like when's the next one? Um, and yeah. so if they didn't look ahead of time and know that, you know, they had a 5k to run in between each of those aid stations to get a little more hydration and it's over a hundred degrees. Um, a lot of them weren't able to stick to their nutrition plan anymore. Uh, and then I guess kind of the last step I'll say is, you know, if you know that you're going to be racing in a hot environment, you can help prepare your body ahead of time by some heat acclimation practice. So kind of knowing what it's going to be like, um, and then preparing for that ahead of time too. Yeah. And, and for more tips on how to do just that, uh, we have podcast episode 34, uh, which is called keep your cool, how to handle the heat while training. Uh, we talk quite a bit about kind of easing yourself into some, uh, some hot training sessions, you know, which training sessions it's best to do that with, um, Mm -hmm. so that your body can kind of get used to being out there in the heat. So do that in training before you get out there on race day 
is 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 great. Um, I, I always, Elizabeth, I always carry a handheld water bottle anyway. Um, I, I do that on long training rides, so I'm just used to it. And I, I just like, even if aid stations are, are well supported and are only a mile apart at, at a big major race, I don't know. I just like being able to take a sip whenever I want to take a sip. Uh, and so I just always carry one anyway. But um, a lot of great tips there. Um, John, what do you tell your athletes um, to, to stay hydrated and stay cool? Largely the same thing that Elizabeth said. Um, it really starts the day before the race with your gear selections. There are uh, certain things that you can do, some of those things that she mentioned um, that can that can help uh, offset the effects of, of the heat, um, help help deal with that. Um, and then it, it also starts with the swim, which is oftentimes um, something people don't think about. But um, especially if you have a cold water race followed by a, a heat a warm, um, warm event. It even, even which wetsuit you wear, or, uh, maybe it has to do with, with whatever, um, swim, swim apparel that you're wearing. Cause you can come out of the, uh, swim, um, warmer or cooler based on that. Sometimes, you know, if it's, if it's not wetsuit legal and you're swimming in a warm body of water, there's really nothing you can do about that. Um, but sometimes, you know, if you have that decision between a full sleeve suit and a sleeveless suit or a wetsuit in a, uh, swim skin, that sort of thing, that can help set uh, that early precedent of, of where your temperature is going to be. What, what's your core temperature um, when you come out of the water? Because again, as, as, Elizabeth, as Elizabeth mentioned, that's that's the critical component in racing in the heat is controlling your core temperature. So um, even thinking about that, of, of what's my core temperature when I exit the swim? Um, and then from there uh, on the bike, always take a cold bottle. So um, if you're relying on those aid stations for, for your nutrition, um, Always, it doesn't matter if you still have three quarters of a bottle, uh, discard that one and take a cold one. Um, and then I always recommend, regardless of what your nutrition plan is, to take cold water. Every opportunity that you have at an aid station, take a cold water bottle, um, even if it's just to to spray your body, which I always recommend, especially in the heat. Uh, hit your face, hit your back, um, get as much as your body wet with that cold water as possible, and then be sure to take a couple of swigs of that cold water, get that down as well. So using that cold water to cool, um, your outside as well as your inside. Um, and then from there, drink like it's your job. This is something that, that I, <laughs> I struggle with. Um, that's, that's a mantra that I tell myself and I have, I have alerts set on my, my bike computer to remind me to, to drink because, it's it sounds counterintuitive, but there are times where I get there even in the heat, and I, I get behind on my nutrition. I get behind on my hydration because I just it I, I almost forget to to drink. So for me, something that I do is is I have that that timer that that goes off. Um, I'm drinking in between, but then I always make sure that every time that alert goes off, it's set for me every 15 minutes. I'm going to take a pretty good uh, pull on on my water bottle or or my nutrition just so that every 15 minutes I'm sure to take in a significant um, amount. And then I also um, use that to to check on my nutrition protocol. So if I'm I'm trying to take in um, a bottle an hour, I know every time that 15 minute timer goes off, I need to be a quarter of the way uh, through that particular bottle. So. Um, yeah, that's something that I, 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 again, hydrate, taking the nutrition, like it's my job. Um, oftentimes that's kind of the one thing that's, that's a little more abstract in, in your race plan. Uh, you know, your power is what it is and you're constantly monitoring your power. You're constantly monitoring your cadence and your heart rate. Um, and I think that's how, um, nutrition and hydration can sometimes slip your mind. It's like, Oh, well, how long has it been since I last took a drink? Oh, I don't really know. I was navigating this uh, technical part of the course or, 
climbing a hill or, or fighting a headwind, all these different things that can distract us. So um, make sure, because when you get behind, it is so hard, if not almost impossible uh, to catch up and get back on. So staying ahead of that is is really critical. John, you said something uh, along those lines. You said something really interesting to me when we were in Coeur d'Alene for Ironman Coeur d'Alene. Um, you know, we, we went out there for the swim start. We went out there and saw a lot of athletes go through T1. And once a majority of our athletes um, were on the bike course, you know, they're out there for, you know, five, six, you know, seven, eight hours. Um, you and I went went back to the hotel, put on our run clothes, went for a nice, you know, 45-minute jog. Uh, and it was already, it wasn't at the hottest part of the day, but it was already in, in probably the, what would you say, maybe low 90s. Uh, it, it was pretty warm, uh, but but it felt it felt nice outside. It didn't feel swelteringly hot yet. And so you and I, we, we were running down this path in Coeur d'Alene. Um, we, we ran under a bridge where you could see some of the cyclists going over. Um, you know, some of them were coming in from their first lap. Some of them were going out on, on their second. Uh, but we were seeing cyclists go over this bridge. And, and at, the, at, the, at that particular moment, it was warm, but it felt nice out. And you said something to me that I never thought about. You were like, I wonder how many of these athletes are under hydrating right now. Because they woke up this morning, they knew it was going to be 100 degrees, they knew it was going to be a hot day, but they got out on the bike course, and they're like, huh, it feels kind of nice outside right now. Maybe I don't need to take in as much fluids as I initially thought I would need to. And so for the first, potentially, 30, 40, 50, 60 miles of the bike, they, they may not have been drinking as if it was going to become 100 degrees that day. Because in that moment, that their brain was tricking them into thinking they felt okay. But they weren't thinking about the hours from then where they were going to be dehydrated in the hundred degrees running the, the, the marathon. Um, you know, and, and that's so, so even if I, I say all that to say very, very concrete example to say, even if you feel like in the moment, Oh, I'm comfortable. I'm okay. I don't need to be drinking. I don't need to be taking in uh, extra electrolytes. Uh, like maybe I thought I was going to be thinking ahead, be thinking to the next step of the race, be thinking uh, uh, to what the temperature is supposed to be, uh, maybe an hour or two or three from now. Uh, cause it, it can be, if you're racing long course or middle distance, it can be a long day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so even like I was saying is, is that was a, a cool, uh, water swim. The water temperature was around 70 degrees, I believe. Um, so you could come out of the, the water nice and cool. Uh, there was very low humidity and, um, the day started relatively cool. I think it probably started around 70 degrees. So, uh, the pre-noon temperatures weren't that high when you're moving at, uh, if you're descending those hills in Coeur d'Alene, you're probably doing 20, 30, 40 miles an hour at times. Uh, and that's going to cool you off. You have that ambient cooling from, from the, the, uh, just your natural speed of moving that's going to keep you cool, but it also can be deceiving. So on those sunny days, the sun is still hitting you, whether you feel it, that dry air is still, uh, causing the hydration and in your moisture in your body to evaporate. So yeah, it's really easy for that to be, um, kind of deceptive. And again, you're thinking about other things. Um, so that is where having that dialed in plan is so critical. And then having the discipline to stick to that plan, regardless of, of how you feel, um, you need to have the flexibility to modify the plan, but when, when just, um, you know, it's stick to it until it's not working. And in that case, you know, your plan is dialed in, you know, your plan works. So that's, that's important, um, to, to maintain that. And, and something you, you mentioned that's important to, um, being electrolytes. Um, that's something too, that, that oftentimes athletes can get behind on, uh, but are, are critical for, for performance, specifically salt, um, but also the other electrolytes as well. So, um, that should be part of that, that plan. Uh, and, and as long as you're sticking to that plan, uh, you're, you're going to be fine. 
And then when you get out on the run, uh, one thing that uh, is, is important to do, I, I refer to it as hiding from the sun. For me, um, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, fair skin. Uh, the sun and I do not get along. Um, so I do everything I can to minimize my exposure uh, to the sun. So that starts with uh, covering skin. So uh, for me, I, I loved years ago when uh, we started adding sleeves to our, our kits um, and then even using things like uh, arm sleeves that uh, provide covering from the sun, um, a hat, sometimes uh, even a, a neck covering. I think Elizabeth mentioned some of those things that uh, just reducing the amount of skin that's exposed to the sun can help with that. Uh, and then also using sunscreen. Um, and then ice can be critical. Um, so there are a lot of different things that you can do with ice that can help uh, control your core temperature, especially out there on the run course. Um, I always recommend in a hot race taking as much ice as possible, especially because you don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, there have been lots of races where, you know, second, third loop or, or back half of the run, uh, they may be running out of ice. The ice may have been melted. Um, so, uh, take it as early as you can, take it as often as you can. And then from there, just shove it everywhere, anywhere that you can shove ice, shove ice. Um, some of the more practical and uh, effective places are under your cap. Um, so, um, keeping your head cool is, is important. So, um, shoving some ice under your cap is, is great. Um, in your Jersey or ladies in, in the sports bra is, is great. Uh, and then everyone's favorite down the pants. Uh, it's, it really does work. Uh, that's, that's one of those like triathlete tricks. That's something none of us have any shame in doing. Talk about cooling down your core. Yeah, exactly. And you know, think about wading into a cool pool. Uh, that's, that's when it gets hard. Uh, it's, it's because there's a lot of blood vessels down there and that's really how, um, ice, works uh, and and really even having um a, a wet kit uh, or cold kit it's it's all about having um the blood vessels at the skin level be able to cool so we, we talk about that's why we have an increased heart rate uh in in the heat is the body is um reallocating blood to the surface of the skin so that heat can dissipate through the skin so that's what you're doing is helping that that process along um so that's that's why having uh things like the arm sleeves that you can that you can keep wet um, having ice on the skin is going to help dissipate that, uh, that heat through there. And anywhere you have a, a large density of blood vessels, uh, like the crotch, like the head, uh, it's going to work that much more effectively. Um, another great opportunity is, is I love to hold it in my fist. Um, so again, there's, there's blood vessels there that can help with that. Um, and to me, it just feels cool. I think that's one of those places where you, you really feel almost a tangible benefit of that ice is, is I like to have a, a fistful and then be sure to, to consume some as well. So you always want to, you want to cool from the outside and cool from the inside as well. So take that cold water. Um, and then every chance I get an aid, aid station, I chomp on some ice, get as much of that down, um, as possible for me. The biggest treat is taking a cup of cola and a cup of ice and pouring them together. And, uh, that's kind of my, my mid race cocktail that keeps me going from, from aid station to aid station. And then something, a, a bit of a tip that, um, becomes somewhat of a last resort, uh, is especially it's really only practical at Ironman racing when you're out there all day, um, Sunset uh, can can provide some relief. So if it's really hot in the afternoon, um, just make it do what you can to to survive uh, to to sundown. And what what I usually mean by that is stay up on your hydration, stay up on your nutrition, so that when the uh, the sun starts to get low in the sky, the shadows are going to get longer, um, the temperatures begin to drop. Now it may be more conducive to to picking up your pace. Um, so do what you can to prepare for that time and just stay patient and, and see that um, perhaps when when those temperatures begin to drop, the shadows get a little longer. Uh, now you may be able to, to pick up the pace and close out the race strong. 
So we already talked a little bit about RaceX adjusting our pacing for the heat. So in theory, hit those paces and see how it goes. But within that, you know, everybody's body responds differently in the heat, regardless of your fitness level. You know, what are some of the signs that we should back off our pace even more or should maybe start employing a run-walk method uh, to, to, John, to do what you're saying, to, to just, you know, live from one hour to the next, one mile to the next uh, on those long courses uh, in, in the heat? So an elevated heart rate is going to be an early indicator. Um, oftentimes that's going to be your body's response to to the heat. So you'll be able to see that um, as you start in those first couple of miles of the race. If you're expecting a heart rate of X and, and now you look at your watch and all of a sudden you're at a heart rate of X plus uh, some amount that you're, you're higher, you're effectively your body is working harder than it normally is. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the process that I just mentioned where, where instead of, of pumping blood to your working muscles, your body is having to pump blood to the surface of the skin to dissipate that heat uh, because your body has to maintain a healthy core temperature. Your body is not going to allow itself to, to overheat uh, to, to a dangerous level. So that process is happening automatically and that elevated heart rate is going to be indicative that that's going on. So you'll know that your body is working hard to, to maintain that core temperature and, and you're going to need to uh, do what you can to assist, um, which kind of leads to the next point. At some point, um, your body is going to have a natural governor that's not going to require you to push beyond a certain point. Um, I've hit this lots of times. Um, and, and I know even, even in training and racing, it's there, um, it's a little different for everyone. And so once you begin to experience that, that, uh, your body just won't let you push anymore. It's, it's kind of hard to describe, but, uh, once you hit it, uh, it's one of those things, you, you know, when you know, and, and, you know, you'll see that on the race course a lot that at some point you just can't go anymore. Your body is not allowing your, uh, to push, you know, your, your heart rate may be good. Your energy level may be good, but it's just, it's hot and, and you just can't push, um, anymore. And then you know, the obvious things like, uh, when you become lightheaded, nauseous, uh, or once you stop sweating, those are, those are signs that, um, not only do you need to back off your pace, but more so, um, need to really think about safety and, and make sure that you're not doing, um, actual harm to your body. Okay, that's a lot of uh, coverage on talking about the heat. I hope there's a lot of helpful tidbits for y'all in there uh, for next time you go into a hot race. Uh, but let's let's swing the other way, and let's talk about what to do when it's cold. You know, we may not think abnormally cold temperatures are as scary as the extreme heat, but a chilly day can certainly hinder our performance if we're not ready for it. Elizabeth, how can athletes best deal with chilly conditions? Well, Andrew, let me just first say that I don't think you've lived far enough north to say that cold temperatures aren't as scary because there can be some scary <laughs> things with um, cold temperatures north. So Florida, Texas, I, I don't think that cuts it. But um, but no, I mean, as, as we're talking about the cold, I, I would say one of my first recommendations would be to dress appropriately. Um, you know, you don't want to be racing where you're so cold that you're shivering. But on, on the other side of that, you don't want to put on so many layers that you are overdressed and you actually start to overheat even when the temperatures yeah. are cooler outside. Um, and this is going to be very individual. So, you know, I talked about Boston 2018 earlier and how just that was freezing cold for me. I, I needed long pants, long sleeves, gloves to stay warm enough that day. But my training partner was fine in shorts, a singlet and gloves. Um, so you know, you're, you're going to need to figure out what works for you. I get out of the water on a chilly day for a triathlon and I 100% need gloves in 
order to be able to function and shift gears and break. Um, but not everybody does. And by training in a variety of conditions, you're going to have an idea of what's appropriate for you and how you can dress according to the weather. Um, the other thing, and, and this one's, this one's a big one is, is make sure that you're still sticking to your nutrition plan and hydration is yeah, great point. critically important, even when it's chilly outside. I mean, you guys were even just talking about how it was 70 at the beginning of the, of the bike course in Coeur d'Alene. And so people may have been under hydrating there, but when it's, you know, even colder, um, sometimes you just don't even want to drink water because you're like, yeah, oh, you, no. you forget like, about it. You have to make yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's 20 degrees and why would I want to drink water? But you still need to. I mean, you're still putting out the effort. You're still sweating. Um, and I think a number of athletes actually get themselves into trouble in cooler environments because they aren't hydrating enough. They aren't sticking to their nutrition plan because they maybe don't have that same kind of thirst monitor that's going off and going, oh my gosh, it's hot. Make sure you drink, drink, drink. Um, and, and that can get them into trouble in a race environment where it's a little cooler. So I've already been called out as a Texan who doesn't really race in, in the cold that much. And I, she mentioned 20 <laughs> degrees, which I'm like, that's, you don't race when it's what? 20 degrees outside. <laughs> uh, but, but I don't one, go outside when it's 20 degrees. Exactly. Um, but I, I actually got myself in trouble one time uh, racing Ironman Louisville. The swim was canceled. It was a time trial bike start. And so we were uh, in line. I think it took me over an hour uh, for me to start and temperatures were in the low 40s. Um, so that's that's cold for me. And I was bundled up. I had uh, leg warmers and, and multiple layers uh, just to, to stay warm. And, and then I went out on the bike. And um, I think especially as I rode through the Ironman Louisville course, which is largely shaded, um, pretty fast course, I was moving at a pretty good pace. I didn't necessarily feel or perceive that the temperatures were rising. And it really wasn't until I was coming into T2 and I was running with my bike that I, I felt hot for the first time. And I actually recall asking a volunteer, I was like, hey, is it hot? And he's like, yeah, it's like almost 80 degrees. And I was like, I knew then I was in trouble because I, I was now <laughs> behind. I was fueling and hydrating based on 40 degrees, as Elizabeth mentioned. I wasn't hydrating for uh, 80. And so when I got out on that, that run course, um, I was behind. I was hot. And, um, you know, it, it, I definitely paid for it. I did not have a good run because, uh, I didn't, I didn't prepare, um, for, for that while, while I was out on the bike. Uh, Elizabeth, I know you in the past have recommended, um, hand warmers in, in, in your gloves for, for a chilly day. I, I think back to, um, John, I, I know you were there. I was not there, but there was one year Galveston 70.3 was very, very cold. And, and a lot of my buddies raced it and they were like, man, it was so cold that when we got in the T2, we had to have volunteers help us unclip the the, the our helmet straps uh, to get our helmet off because our, our mm -hmm. like hands were so numb, fingers were so numb, um, you know. So so those uh, so slow. Elizabeth, you, you take those and put them inside your cycling gloves, right? Those little hand warmers. I do. Yep. Yep. So another another tip there. Um, so so it sounds like you know the the trick to cold weather racing is just layering appropriately. You know, knowing what's the best fit for you at a certain temperature. Um, but talk to me about pacing uh, on a cold day. I mean, it makes a ton of sense that a hot day will knock us off our ideal, our ideal paces. Does cold weather have a similar effect? How much should we expect our splits and paces to be impacted by lower temps? Cold weather is still certainly going to impact you, but not in the same way and not to the same degree. Oh gosh, no, no pun intended there. <laughs> that was unintentional guys. Um, 
But <laughs> we need Reigns here. He he would have put that in purposefully. Um, but yeah, it's it's not going to impact you in the same way that the heat will. So you know when you're really hot, the body is working hard to keep you cool. And in cool temperatures, obviously the body doesn't need to do that. You're you're already cool. Um, instead, in cooler temperatures, it's often important to kind of raise your core temperature with a proper warm up, and then as we mentioned, dress appropriately so that you can keep kind of you know that core temperature raised while you're racing without overheating as well. So you know, depending on how cold it gets, um, certainly that can have an effect on your pace. I mean you know, down in Texas, we don't have the negative temperatures. Um, but further north where I used to live and then, you know, for our the athletes even further north of, uh, gosh, like South Dakota. So up in Canada and such, they, they will be impacted by, you know, those negative degree temperatures as they're, as they're going outside. So past the heat and the cold, there's one more weather condition that can really throw uh, triathletes for a loop, and that is the wind. A windy day can be a fickle beast. Sometimes it's a steady wind blowing in the same direction throughout the entire race. Sometimes it swirls and shifts and gusts in different directions. Talk to us about adjusting our pacing strategy for biking and running in and out of headwinds, crosswinds, and tailwinds. This is where using a power meter for your race pacing on the bike is an excellent tool. I mean, your output, your power should follow your pacing plan regardless of the wind. So if you're supposed to hold 200 watts, you're holding 200 watts, whether there's no wind or there's a nasty headwind. Um, Certainly that's going to affect your bike split. And, you know, the the time that you're out there riding will, will vary. But the energy that you spend should still kind of follow um, that same power pacing plan that you had. Uh, in Ironman Texas 2017, I remember distinctly the, oh gosh, I mean, going out was fantastic. Just major tailwind and coming back into transition was miserable. Just terrible headwind. Um and I actually switched my bike computer screen only to power and cadence because I've got a number of metrics up oh, there. Wow. But I I just knew that my speed was drastically dropping. Um, but I also knew that, you know, if I tried to push harder or beyond the what I was supposed to for my power, that that would really compromise my run. So, you know, I was able to hold the watts that I was supposed to um, and had a fantastic run off the bike that day. So Elizabeth mentioned having the power displayed, but also cadence. And that's, that's one thing where, um, as she mentioned, your, your power is not really going to deviate based on the wind, but, um, varying cadence can, can help, um, mitigate some of those for, for me, I'd like to have a, a little lower cadence when I'm headed into a headwind. Um, so kind of grinding, uh, into that wind. Um, and then if, if I have that tailwind, it's a little higher cadence. So that's that's the one modification that that I will make when when riding in the wind. The power doesn't change. The heart rate zones are still there, um, but I will vary my my cadence a little bit. So again, I, I tend to drop the cadence lower when I'm when I'm in a headwind or, or more so of a sidewind. Uh, so kind of when the wind is is hurting, I'll I'll drop the cadence, um, and then if the wind is helping, tailwind, um, I'll I'll have a higher cadence that uh, I'll hold. So a windy day, you know, affects us the most on the bike. You know, there's no question about that. You know, what do you say to your athletes just to kind of help them 
prepare mentally and, and physically heading into a windy bike leg? Uh, right outside. And this is coming from somebody <laughs> that absolutely loves the trainer. I mean, the trainer and I are, are good friends, but, but really yeah. right outside, face the wind, conquer the wind, get comfortable riding in the wind. Those experiences are going to give you confidence in your ability to handle the wind on race day. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point, Elizabeth. I, I too love the trainer. I love the predictability of it. I love the comfort of not having to worry about what the weather is outside. Um, but yeah, especially those, those Saturday bike sessions that are over an hour, um, especially as you're, you're getting closer to race day and you've got those race rehearsals and you've got the, the stamina rides that are almost as long as a race rehearsal. Um, man, I, even if the weather's bad, um, unless, unless there's lightning, cause we've talked about how I do in lightning. Um, I, I like to get outside for those because it does really mentally help, you know, okay, Hey, I've been through this wind before. I've been through a drizzly day before I've, I've been there, done that. And I, and I faced it and I can do so on race day. So yeah, good stuff there. Um, John, what do you tell your athletes? Very similar. It's, it's about, um, embracing it in training. Um, as much as we would love to have a perpetual tailwind, that's just not, uh, the case. It's not reality. Um, it, it really does help to build that tenacity and grit factor, um, of dealing with it. It's, it's not, fun. It's not particularly enjoyable, but I know it's going to make me better. Uh, so it's about embracing that and, and having that, that attitude or approach that, that this is probably going to be what am I going to experience on race day? So it's, it's beneficial to me to, to, um, to train, to train with it. Um, and then there, you know, as, as we mentioned before, preparations leading into the event, um, this is prime. The biggest thing is, is generally wheels. Um, if you have the the flexibility and the wheel set that you have, um, you know, that needs to be taken into, into consideration. Um, especially the lighter riders are going to experience, um, a bigger impact of the wind on those deeper wheel sets. Um, and then a question that comes up a lot, a debate, uh, on windy conditions is, is a disc a good idea? Uh, and, and really the, the reality is that, um, in most conditions, the disc is going to be the fastest and the disc is going to be safe. So the oftentimes, um, in the high winds, I have to think, oh, it's going to be windy out. Do I ride the disc or do I not? Um, Kona is the only race that I'm aware of that does not um, allow for a disc wheel. And, and that race you're out in the middle of the ocean. So it's it's extremely windy there. Um, but vast majority of other races, um, the disc is uh, going to be the fastest. And there's actually um, evidence that that rear disc can provide stability of the front wheel. Uh, as well. So, so it actually can be even more stable than, than a, a, um, a, a traditional wheel, uh, there, the back is not hinged like the front, uh, and the majority of the rider's weight is on that rear wheel. So it's going to be much more stable. Um, so oftentimes it's much more a question of, of which front wheel, um, to use. So stick mm, with the deep wheels, yeah. stick with the disc in the sense. back and, and really pay more attention, uh, to the front where you don't have as much weight, uh, and it's also hinged, um, that that's going to be a much bigger, um, impact headed into race day. Yeah. Cause that, that's what always on a windy day that that's what grabs you is, is the front. You can feel that front wheel trying to turn uh, underneath your elbows. So yeah, great point there, John. Um, the, the windiest race I've done, I did a duathlon in February at Texas motor speedway. Now Texas motor speedway is just outside of Fort worth, Texas. There is nothing around Texas Motor Speedway, and so it's just open to the wind. If it's a little bit windy in town, it's a lot of bit windy at Texas Motor Speedway. If it's a lot of bit windy in town, it is extremely windy at Texas Motor Speedway. And I did a duathlon there where the, the forecasted winds for the day were 25, 30 miles an hour with gusts up to 40, and you felt every single bit of that. 
And um, I, I, I mean, I remember moments heading into the wind up a slight hill where I was going 11 miles an hour, and uh, that was the best I could do, just grinding. Uh, but one thing that I picked up in that race that I did not anticipate that I'll throw in here as a quick tip, um, I did not anticipate my stuff in transition getting blown to hell. I got into to T2 off the bike and my, my run stuff was everywhere. I, I had a sock, a couple of bikes down. I had a hat that I didn't even find until after the race because it got blown all the way to the edge of transition. Uh, so if you're showing up to a windy race, you know, there's going to be, it's a little, it's going to be a little bit gusty. Uh, maybe keep all your run stuff inside of a bag or, or keep something weighted down on your transition towel, whatever you're using, just be aware that, that, uh, you need to take some sort of measure to keep that, uh, and your place in transition and not roll in the transition and have it be all over the place. Another thing you need to have a game plan for is what if it rains on race day? Um, so obviously sometimes we have an idea if it's going to rain, sometimes not. Sometimes the forecast is pretty conclusive. Um, other times it sneaks up on you and um, it's one of those things you need to be aware of. Um, sometimes it has a larger impact on your race day than others. Uh, the biggest thing is usually a safety concern, uh, primarily on the bike. Um, sometimes if it's, if it's raining hard enough, it can have implications to the swim. If they can't get the safety vehicles, uh, the boats out on the water, that sort of thing. If the lifeguards can't see the swimmers, um, they may shorten the swim, they may cancel the swim. Um, but nothing really you can do about that other than just be flexible and and roll with it. Uh, the biggest thing is safety on the bike. Um, so what you can do there is drop a few pounds of pressure out of your tires. Um, anywhere from, from five to 10 pounds is usually sufficient, um, for that. So you don't want them too low. Um, but by, by dropping a little bit of pressure, you increase a, a little bit of the surface area that is, that is making contact with the road. Um, so a little bit more, uh, contact with rubber to the road is going to give you a little better traction on those wet roads. Um, also be cognizant of, of what you're encountering. So watch out for things like, um, metal manhole, uh, covers or painted stripes. Those are going to tend to be slicker. Um, Obviously, be careful going around turns and corners, that sort of thing. Um, and then just be be aware that uh, your glasses may fog up, glasses, glasses may be wet. If you have a visor, um, your your vision may be impaired. So again, it's it's primarily um, safety related. The one the one time where uh, it could be more of a concern is if you're already on a relatively cool day, um, and then the rain would come along and and go from cool to cold. Um, so you know you may need to to make adjustments there. Maybe it's having something like a rain jacket uh, in personal needs bag or, or in transition, something like that to, to help keep you dry. Uh, a lot of times um, we tend to race in the warmer months where uh, the cooling effect of rain can often be a welcome uh, relief. It can be kind of nasty. I hate riding my bike in the rain. Uh, I, I sometimes enjoy running in the rain. I don't enjoy running when in wet shoes, um, but I do enjoy running when it's cool. So uh, sometimes that rain um, can, can be a blessing, especially on, on the run course. Last question I want to ask about the wind uh, is the swim because the, the 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 swim can very much be affected by the wind. Um, just like the the bike and run, you wouldn't necessarily think it as much, uh, but windy days can affect the conditions out there on the swim course. Um, what should we be aware of in the water on a windy day? No, I'm glad that you brought this up because honestly, for me, when I look at the wind, um, I'm I'm thinking a little bit more about the swim conditions than than the bike conditions. Um, yeah. and that's just because the, the bike is a better strength of mine than the swim is. And so I'm always thinking, okay, well, if that's super windy, how's that going to affect the the water that I'm going to be in? Um, what are the waves going to be like? So 
so yeah, this, this is kind of something that I, I consider, um, it may make sighting much more difficult. Um, you may go to sight, you may not be able to see the buoy on your first sighting attempt. So you may need to sight again or sight more often just to make sure that you're staying on course. Um, this may also kind of impact how often or, or where you need to breathe. So if you are typically breathing just to one side as you're racing the swim, um, and that's the side that the waves are coming toward you from, then you may need to adjust your breathing as well. So uh, a couple things there um, that just come to mind. I mean, again, this is where practicing in a number of conditions is important. So having the experience of, of swimming in choppy conditions and, and knowing how you're going to handle um, water that's not crystal clear and um, super flat. Yeah, I, I know for me in the swim, uh, open water swimming on a windy day, you know, you, you usually find that the waves might come from one direction. And, and so, yeah, you've got to adjust uh, the, the way you're breathing. You've got to adjust maybe the, 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 how often you're sighting. So great stuff there, Elizabeth. Um, I, I would encourage people in the pool, you know, practice bilateral breathing. because it's going to really help you on those windy days out in open water. Um, so, so just to, to land the plane today, we talked a lot about different specific weather conditions and, and how to navigate those, those days. But you know, none of us head into a race wanting to DNF. You know, most of us are jumping into the water fully intending to finish what we started. Um, you know, but the weather can get real dangerous real fast, depending on how our body is responding. We talked about some of our athletes in Coeur d'Alene that made the right call and, and, and calling it quits on that day with the way their body was responding to the heat. You know, for, for other athletes that might find themselves in some tough conditions and might find their body not handling it very well. What are some of the signs that we should be on the lookout for um, that it might be time to call it quits and withdraw as opposed to pressing on? Yeah, this this is a good question um, because it, it sounds cliche, but really safety first. Um, you you should know the signs and symptoms of, of heat stroke. You should know the signs and symptoms of hypothermia. You know, you should know the signs and symptoms of hyponatremia. So, you know, heat, cold, um, making sure that you have enough electrolytes in your body. All of that is super important. You want to be able to finish what you started. And if your body is capable of doing so, you know, I absolutely encourage you to do that, even if it's not the day and the time that you may have hoped for. But this sport is just so amazing. And you don't want to do anything that compromises your opportunity to race another day. You don't want to hurt yourself in a way that has you sidelined for an extended period of time. You don't want to push yourself in a way that puts your health at risk. Um, so really just be be safe out there. Know some of those major warning signs to look out for and, and don't be ashamed to put your health first. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. So normally on the cool down for our episodes, I like to switch up the topic and do something a little bit different from what we did on the main set. But today I have one more question geared towards racing in the heat that I want to ask coach John Mayfield. But, but before I do, I want to give a quick shout out to all of our athletes that raced at Ironman Coeur d'Alene. At the time of this recording, we were just a few weeks removed from cheering on tried out athletes up in Idaho. And we referenced that race just a, a little bit on the episode today since it was so recent. Uh, but to all of our athletes who are out there racing, whether you finish the race or not, it, we have nothing but love and respect for the effort that you put forth out there on course. We loved rooting for you. Um, and, and gosh, what a tough, tough day it was 
at Ironman. To those of you that finished, congratulations. And to those of you who had to withdraw because of the, the, the weather and the conditions of the day, kudos for giving it your best shot. And I cannot wait to see all of you take another crack at Ironman sometime soon. I am quite sure, knowing how poorly my body handles the heat of that magnitude, um, I, I very well may have had to withdraw from that one as well. Um, so, so we had long planned on doing an episode about racing and tough weather conditions. It was on our to-do list. We, we were going to hit this topic eventually, but standing on course and watching our quarter lane athletes, John and I just looked at each other and said, you know what, let's talk about this ASAP. So I really hope it benefits some folks the next time the weather is not in your favor. Um, so John, j- just to close us out today, I just wanted to hear some of your thoughts and some of your reflections from spectating all day at Coeur d'Alene. Uh, and maybe what are a few of the lessons that we can take away from what you saw in the tough conditions of that race? So uh, we, we do these race recon webinars five weeks out from every Ironman race. And, and I recall um, on that webinar discussing the fact that um, the expected temperature for late June in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is somewhere in the mid 70s. And I, I was so looking forward uh, to escaping Texas in June and getting up there to experience 75 degrees. A high, I haven't had a high of 75 in, in months, so I was really looking forward to that. Uh, and I know the athletes, that, that some of them even sign up for a race um, because of that, because of that expected uh, temperature. So it was a huge deal um, when, when a historic heat wave uh, came in and um, you know it, it, it was no secret to, to anyone that uh, the forecast was now calling for for potentially triple digit uh, and beyond. Uh, oftentimes, Coeur d'Alene is known more so for a relatively challenging bike course, but but there was hardly anybody uh, after the race talking about <laughs> how hard the hills were. It was it was all about the heat. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so there were several takeaways that um, um, I think were real important and, and lessons to learn from that day. So first one being preparation. Um, I, I saw a lot of this. There was a lot of conversation in the Facebook groups uh, leading into the race of of what do we do? And and there were there were tips like we've discussed um, both in preparation of gear, uh, preparation of pacing, hydration, nutrition, uh, all those things taken into consideration. So it really starts in advance of knowing what you're in for and doing everything that you can in advance to deal with it. Um, I'm, I'm sure that that. There probably wasn't anyone that didn't know it was going to be 100 degrees on race day. There probably wasn't anyone that didn't make any adjustments. But but yeah, if you didn't, if you were over two on those, you paid dearly. It was hard enough uh, with advanced knowledge and, and the ability to to prepare, um, but only that much more uh, for those that didn't. Attitude was huge. Um, I think there were expectations that that were adjusted, and, and as we discussed before, um, so your time uh, at Ironman Coeur d'Alene when it was going to be 75 degrees. Uh, is is no longer really even on the table. Uh, no yeah. one was going to be as fast um, on race day uh, when it was 100 degrees as as when uh, you know we were looking at at a high of 75. That that 25 degree delta is massive. Uh, you simply can't do the same time at 75 as you can at 100. So uh, adjusting the expectations and, and then maintaining the attitude as well. Um, I saw a lot of that, which was really cool in the athletes that we interfaced with leading into the race. Um, they knew that it was going to be a struggle. They knew it was going to be a really tough day. Um, and it, it really became about embracing that and, and making the most of it. Um, and then just don't give up. Um, I think that was something that was really demonstrated on race day. Um, 
I can only imagine how hard it was. I, I have never done a race that, that is that difficult. Um, I've done several Ironman races. I've done lots of hot races. Uh, but man, props to everyone that was out there on that course and out there on that course for a long time uh, and just never gave up. Yeah, I think there were a lot of lessons out of, out of Coeur d'Alene and a lot of inspiration. So uh, just a lot of respect and props to everyone who who took on that race and uh, maintained a great attitude and, and adjusted their expectations accordingly. My few takeaways, the first one is this, do whatever it takes. When it's a hot day, when it's a windy day, I mean, do whatever it takes to keep yourself moving. Um, you know, we, we saw athletes, John, wearing all sorts of different hat and shirt and, and clothing combinations to keep their skin covered. We saw athletes with sunscreen thicker than I've ever seen at, on toddlers at the beach. Uh, we, we, we saw people, one of them, I'm not going to name a name, but there was one Elizabeth James coach athlete who came out of, uh, came out of T1 on her bike and, and she was just slathered in sunscreen on her face, but Hey, she didn't burn. She did not get through the race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She did not get sunburned. Um, she did fantastic. And, and yeah. And, and so it's just, you know, there were athletes, um, that, that were taking 15, 20, 25 minutes in T2 just to lay on the grass in the shade, uh, to bring their core body temperature down before they started the run. So, so w- when you get into a day like that, um, do whatever it takes to, to keep yourself moving and, and to keep yourself grinding and, and to give yourself a shot at, uh, making it to the finish line. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Coach John Mayfield and pro triathlete Elizabeth James for helping us face whatever weather race day throws our way. Enjoying the show? Have any questions or topics you'd like to hear us talk about? Head to trinet.com slash podcast and click on leave us a voicemail to let us know what you're thinking. We'll do it again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.